Now, good morning, everybody. Hope you're all well. Yes, as Johnny said, I am struggling with the sniffles, so if I <clears throat> a few times, please forgive me. Um, and if we haven't met, my name is Matt. I'm one of the leaders here, and I want to welcome you. Um, and I do hope that you have a good time with us this morning. Um, so we are diving into Daniel chapter two. We've only done chapter one. So far, but I'm going to go through the whole of chapter 2 today. It is going to be a little bit on the lengthier side, but it's such a cool story that I'm actually going to read through everything, and we'll take some stops as we go along. Um, But as we read Daniel 2, I would like to ask that we hold two things in our attention span, right? Keep two things in mind as we're reading. And so the one thing is uh, general for all Christians at all time. And then the other thing I'd love for us to hold on to in our minds as we're reading and listening um, is something that is specifically for us as liberty in this season now. So if you're listening online or something, maybe in a couple of years, perhaps we've moved on in, in that season. So starting off generally for all Christians, all time, all places, I'd love for us to hold on to this. So Romans chapter 15 verse 4, I think we'll have it up on the screen. And it says, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Right? So why are we even going through the book of Daniel? Right? Old Testament, a bit of a history lesson. Well, according to this, the book of Daniel was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught we may have encouragement so that we might have hope, right? So endurance, encouragement, and hope. Now, that word hope uh, is a little bit misleading, and I want to encourage you um, to hop onto the Liberty website and go to the series we did in 2019, gosh, so long ago, and we did a series uh, on faith, hope, and love, and there were a couple of messages there on hope. It's totally worth having a look at those. Um, Hope in the English language uh, talks a little bit about uncertainty, right? It's, it's future-oriented, but we're uncertain, right? I hope I win the lotto. I hope I get this for Christmas, right? I hope my brother trips down the stairs. No, no, no one would say that, right? You kind of, you're, yeah, right? There's, there's, there's some uncertainty, and that's not the word hope that we see in the Bible, The word hope that we see in the Bible is a confident expectation. It's not an uncertain expectation. There's a confidence. There's a surety, a confident expectation that God will finish what He has started. What did He start? What does He still need to finish? And so this this comes back to my message from the the very first uh, message from, from Daniel. God creates a good creation right? And it's good. And, and the design is such that all of His creation would flourish. And then we mess things up by wanting to do things our own way, and we bring in the curse of sin. And so now sin twists things, it corrupts things. And so the good news is that God doesn't just leave us to our own devices, but He is committed to bringing someone, a king, that we can flourish under again, to deal with this curse of sin and death. And so then God squeezes Himself into the form of a man, Jesus, and He comes and lives a perfect life, and He takes this curse of sin and death upon Himself, and He's crucified. 
and He dies so that that sin, that curse can be dealt with, so that we can have the blessing of His new life, His resurrection life. There is a new creation life, a new being born again in a way. And so He doesn't just leave it there, but He gives us a job to do. And He says, I'm coming back to finish it, and in the meantime, I want you to be stewards of this renewal of all things, this renewing of creation, this bringing His new life to the world. And finally, at the end of the book of Revelation, the final bit of the Bible, we have this closing scene where we have a new heavens and a new earth. Because remember, the Bible opens up with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And here we have a closing, God makes a new heavens and new earth. And not only is it this recreation moment, but there's a coming together. It's kind of like a wedding, right, where you have a husband and a wife coming together. And so Revelation says, heaven comes down to earth. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. That was always the design. That was always the plan in this Garden of Eden for God to be with humankind. And at the end, finally, we have God being with humankind. And there's this throne and a river flowing out from the throne of God, going out into all the world. And there's a flourishing, and the Bible closes. That's, that's kind of the beginning of the end, right? That's where the whole story kind of culminates, and we get to spend eternity in a creation made right, things as they always were supposed to be. And so this is a picture of hope for us as Christians, living in exile now, living in a world where they don't recognize the true king and they recognize a different king. How are we to live in this waiting moment? We've been given this commission, this looking forward to the end. How are we to live? I think Daniel speaks wonderfully to that for all Christians at all time. What do we do until Jesus returns, and how are we to live? Praise God for the book of Daniel as a wonderful example, giving us encouragement and hope to endure. But then the other thing I want us to hold in tension, right? So that's, that's something to keep in mind as we read Daniel chapter 2 for all Christians, but then specifically for us as liberty in this season. I think a previous season, maybe we went for, maybe God was working depth in our hearts, right? To know God and to build our lives on Him and to entrust ourselves into His hands. And now I believe that there is a commissioning season. There is a you-go-out season. There's a, a deepening, but then there's a fresh reminder, something God is doing. And I think part of it is very much focused on the individual specifically. So you go out into the world. You go and bear fruit. You do. And so the question is, how? Not, not so much what are we to do. I think the book of Daniel can speak wonderfully to us as liberty in this season now. How are we to do that as we go out as exiles? How are we to go out into Babylon, right, in a world that's under a different ruler, a different reign, a different set of laws and of, of doing things? How are we to do that. I want to remind us uh, from week one, we spoke about Jeremiah chapter four. Jeremiah has this picture of good figs and bad figs, and the good figs are the ones that are sent off into Babylon 
in exile. And that's the place where God is going to work in their hearts and work through them. And they are to consider themselves blessed as the ones who've been sent off into exile. We are the ones who are being sent out into the world. And God wants to work in us and through us as we do so. And then Jeremiah 29, Glenn mentioned this in week two. God tells his people that he is the one who has sent Israel off into exile in Babylon. And while they are there, they are to seek the welfare of the city. For in its blessing, they will find their own blessing. God wants to be a blessing to them and through them, even in a hostile world. They're this minority group living under oppression, and God wants to work in them and through them. How are they to do that? Man, I think that speaks so wonderfully to us in this season. So, for all Christians, all time, absolutely, but specifically as God is emphasizing to us, as liberty and as individuals, how are you to go out and bear this fruit? How are you to go out into this world and be part of God's recreation, renewal of all things work? So, let's dive into Daniel chapter 2. It should hopefully be on the screen. I know it's a lot, but this is a great story, so please stay with me. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, remember, he's this, this big bad king, and he's, he's the king of kings. His nation has conquered many other nations. He has many vassal states, other kings who are under his rule and reign, and he's taken this by murder, war, oppression. This dude is hardcore. And so he's the king of the whole known world, and he has dreams. His spirit was troubled, and sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to the king, to tell, sorry, to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream. And my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. It's a good way to start. Tell your servants the dream and we will show you the interpretation. And the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb and your houses shall be laid in ruins, right? I'm just going to bulldoze your house on top of that. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. I can't help but feel like this guy is one of the, like he's a toddler, right? He's just, I'm going to do it my way. But he's so intoxicated with his own power that it's like, if you don't tell me, I'm going to kill you. But if you tell me, it's going to be the best thing ever. It's, just, it's a little bit extreme here, right? And so this, this is Nebuchadnezzar. So they answered him a second time, verse 7, and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show its interpretation. And the king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time, because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me the interpretation. 
The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There's not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand, for no great and powerful king has asked us such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult. No one can show it to the king except the gods, and their dwelling is not with flesh, right? They don't live here. They're not here amongst us. What you are asking is too much. And because of this, the king had a tantrum, sorry, was very angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. Have we been introduced to any of the wise men yet? Yeah, Babylon, I beg your pardon, Daniel and his friends. They're wise men. They're included in this. So the decree went out and the wise men were about to be killed and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion, right? I said to Linz last night, I think that should be our, like our t-shirts for 2023, right? Prudence and discretion. Hey, that's amazing. Royal assassins arrive to kill you. How do you respond? With prudence and discretion. Cool. Prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made known the matter to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Right? So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these are his friends who've stayed faithful and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. I want to press a pause button here. Right? This, this is an impossible situation. It's pretty much a death sentence. And I wonder for how many of us we might be facing impossible situations right now. Or perhaps people you know are facing impossible situations right now. What, is, what, what does Daniel do? He says, let's go seek God. Let's come to God. What's the word that's come this morning? Come to God. Come to Him. This is Glenn's message from two weeks ago. Seek the Lord in prayer. Panic stations, royal assassins have arrived, it's time to meet your end. Okay, just give us a moment, I need to pray. I'm not sure I would do that. How about you? What you're facing right now, you press the pause button, sorry, can we just stop the board meeting for a second? I'll be back. Just, God, please, help me, help me. The doctors have given you some kind of a diagnosis, I, just hang on a moment, I'll be back. God, please help me. What it, what it, whatever it is that you are facing, take time out to seek the Lord. If there is hope to come from anywhere, surely this is the right place, the right person to go to. God, please help me. Verse 19, then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven Daniel answered and said, now I know that this doesn't show on the slides. Maybe if you're reading on your phone or your Bible, you'll see the text might look a little bit different. They've maybe indented it, pushed it to the side. They've put it in a different sort of layout. This is actually poetry. This is, this is a song. Sorry, Daniel is a musical, right? So Daniel bursts out into song here. I don't know about you. I, I really struggle with musicals, 
right? My little daughter, she loves those musicals. And then when they burst out into song, my two boys go, oh, which is probably coming from me as well. This is a musical. Daniel breaks out into song here. Now, the point here is not that we're trying to make a longer story. So let's just fit in kind of a filler. But the point of breaking out into poetry and song here is to slow things down, take note. Here is a central theme. So when you see this in the Bible anywhere and they're breaking out into song or there's some kind of a poem, there's something different, this is an important theme. So slow down and take note. So here's Daniel's song. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. If you have wisdom, where does it come from? God. You have knowledge and understanding, where's it from? It's from God. God's the one who gives it. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with Him. You facing some dark times, right? You need some light. God is light. It dwells with Him. Let's come to God. Daniel continues, verse 23, To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might and have made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Right? Who's in control here? Nebuchadnezzar? No. God is. There we go. That's a good answer. Who's in control? Who's singing the song? Daniel, who's seen his city battered, broken down, burned, gone. Kings, gone. People, murdered. Exiles en masse, thousands of his friends and family hold off for months in chains. He's living under an oppressive king. Who's got the power here? God does. That, man, that is powerful. If anyone had a right to say, Jupiter, this king is powerful, surely it's Daniel. And he's acknowledging, God, you're the one who's in control, not Nebuchadnezzar. So maybe we take a moment to just apply this to our own lives. Who's in control of your life? The doctors, your boss, your financial advisor, your customers, your spouse, your kids, the teachers, I don't know. Who's in control? Who's in control? God is in control. And so Daniel remains faithful to God and acknowledges God in, in all this work, you are the one who sent us into exile, not, not Nebuchadnezzar. You've sent us into exile. You've raised up Nebuchadnezzar. You've laid down our kings, and you've made known to us this wisdom. So verse 24, therefore Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon, and he said thus to him, do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste, right? Burst through the doors. I've found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. So the king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar. Remember, he's Daniel. That's his Hebrew name, but he's been given a Babylonian name, Belteshazzar. Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, no wise man 
enchanters, magician, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. Okay, that's not what I would have said. I would have said, yes, your majesty. <laughs> What's the deal here? No human can do it. God can. Verse 28, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he's made known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. So Daniel's going on faith now, right? He's believing that God has shown him what the dream is and its meaning, right? So he's acting in faith here. To you, O king, as you lay in bed, came thoughts of what would be after this, and he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. I love how Daniel defers away from himself here. God's shown me. I'm a, I'm a pretty impressive guy, so don't kill me and my friends. Maybe you could hook us up with a sweet deal, a nice house. Maybe we can, you know, just build a little something where my family can worship our God he doesn't do any of this. Just, not me, it's God. God has revealed to you the interpretation. Verse 31, you saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, or put in today's language, just flipping bright, <laughs> stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. Right, so no wonder Nebuchadnezzar couldn't sleep anymore and he was stressed out. The man was terrified at this image that he saw. The head of the image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, and its legs of iron, and its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand. Now, that, that's an interesting contrast. We've got this terrifying, frightening, glowing image, and then we have a stone that's cut out. And it struck this terrifying image on its feet of iron and clay, and it broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold, all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, right? So back in the day, you would harvest your wheat. I don't know if you've ever seen grains of wheat, but there's this bit on this outside, the husk, and all the bits that are not nice to eat. You can't grind them. You can't make flour. You can't bake with it. So you need to get rid of all of this. And so you thresh it and shake it until it's all off. And all of that outside, all the fiber gets blown away by the wind. It's worthless. It's blown away, disappears, never to be seen again. And what's valuable remains behind. And so he says, all of this statue, this great, terrifying, glowing, flippin' bright statue is smashed and turns into dust and is blown away, never to be seen again. No trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth kind of mountain fills the whole earth? Verse 36, this was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, 
to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, and the might. Right, so Nebuchadnezzar, it's not you that got all your might and your authority. God gave that to you. And the glory, and into whose hand he is given wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. You, Nebuchadnezzar, are the head of gold. Right, so if, if you're going to stand before a king who's going to possibly behead you, you you're, you're the head of gold. You're the top dog. I think Nebuchadnezzar is probably feeling quite pleased with himself at this point. But this is also a bit of a weird little section. You are the king of kings. Everything's been given to you, including the guinea fowl and the goats. <laughs> like, this is, this is weird, Right? the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens. Why are we talking about guinea fowl and goats? Like this, is, this is Genesis 1 language. I think that this is actually really, really important. And so let's go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Right, so this is first page or two of the Bible. God creates the heavens and the earth. God's busy making everything. And then God said, verse 26, let's make man in our image. It's the exact same word that we see here in Daniel 2, this word image. Sometimes you'll see in the Bible it can be translated as a statue or an idol. It's a likeness. We've been commanded to not make idols or to not make images to worship them because God's already made an image of himself. Who's the image? We are. We are created in the likeness of God. Let us make man in our image and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so, God's speaking to Nebuchadnezzar over here, and he's coming back to this creation moment. And we have this image, and God says he's made humankind in his image to have dominion over everything and to rule. Now, when you think of rulers, do you have a good connotation in your mind or a bad connotation in your mind? When you think of people who have dominion, Positive connotation or negative connotation? Now, generally, in human history, rulers end up being corrupt. And dominion ends up in domination. Right? And so, is that what God intended for humankind? This is before the fall. This is before the curse of sin and death. God has dominion of all things over all his creation, and he makes humankind, he makes us in his image, and he gives us dominion. God has dominion so that his world may flourish, and he's given humanity, you and I, rulership, dominion, leadership, so that things may flourish. On his behalf, we are to rule. And so Nebuchadnezzar has this dream of an image. And he is the head of gold. But what do we know about Nebuchadnezzar? How does Nebuchadnezzar rule? With armies, with bloodshed, with oppression. Question, 
was that Nebuchadnezzar, the first king to rule by oppression and bloodshed? No. Is he going to be the last ruler to do this? No. This is, this is the state of humankind. This is a, an expose on the nature of humankind. God has given us dominion to rule. And how do we rule? With bloodshed. This is the curse of sin and death, twisting and warping God's commission for us to lead and to steward and to rule. And so Daniel continues, verse 39, another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you. This is still part of the image. This is still the, well, statue. No, it's, it's, it's an image. Just like Genesis 1, another kingdom inferior to you shall arrive after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze which shall rule over the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all of these. Is this how God intended us to rule and have dominion? Definitely not. But He's, he's getting His finger on the root of the issue here for us as humans. And as you saw, the feet and the toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with the soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage. But they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings... The God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end. And it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand. And that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation sure. Then Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and an incense be offered up to him because he didn't listen to anything Daniel was saying. Oh my goodness. The king answered and said to Daniel, truly, now, this is Nebuchadnezzar, hey? He serves another God, multiple gods. Truly, your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Just, just remember that God is the one who sent them into exile. And what's happening here? A pagan, oppressive king is acknowledging who the real God is. God works in amazing ways, liberty. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts, because, you know, he said he would, and made him rule over the whole province of Babylon and the chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel made a request of the king and appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. And that's the end of Daniel chapter 2. Okay.
So what is the point of all of this, right? So humankind is created in God's image and given dominion over all of His creation so that we would rule and steward God's creation to a place of flourishing. But because of our decision to do it our way, not God's way, this curse of sin and death enters into the world, enters into our hearts, and this is how we steward things. And this corrupt, dominating way of stewarding, leading, ruling will continue, kingdom after kingdom after kingdom, until we get to verse 44 and verse 45. The kingdom of heaven will be set up, and it will never be destroyed. And it will break all these other kingdoms to bits and pieces so that they blow away, not a piece of them to be found again. It's going to be an eternal kingdom. And it's not coming from part of the statue. It's not coming from humankind. It's a stone that comes from no human hand. And it grows and fills the whole earth. What is this rock that will crush the kingdoms of this world? Who is this rock that will crush the kingdoms of this world? A whole bunch of you have got your Jesus radar busy going off. Yes, that's the right answer. It is Jesus. So in Luke 20, listen to this. Jesus is telling a parable to the Jewish people, and he talks about the kingdom of heaven being taken away from a disobedient people. And those disobedient people are going to be punished, and the kingdom's going to be given to someone else. And the crowds listening say, God, may this never be. Verse 17, Jesus looked directly at them and asked, then what's the meaning of that which is written? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Verse 18, everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. So Jesus quotes two passages of Scripture to the crowds who are listening. And he's talking about the kingdom of God being given to a new people. He quotes Psalm 118, the stone that the builders has rejected will become the cornerstone. You're going to reject Jesus? Okay. That's going to be the basis of the kingdom of heaven. And then he quotes Daniel 2 to indicate the arrival of the kingdom. This stone will crush the kingdoms of this world. Jesus is appealing to Daniel 2 to indicate the arrival of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And how does the kingdom arrive? How does Jesus crush the kingdoms of this world? He dies. Hey? He dies. That's the way that He wins. That's the way that He defeats the kingdoms of this world. And then there's resurrection life. And there, that resurrection life is made available to us all who put our faith in Christ so that there is a renewing. There is a, the ability to lead and to govern and to have dominion in a new way. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 to 20. We've, we've read this already, and we're going to read it again. Think of Genesis 1. Think of the language there, and think of Colossians. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all 
creation. To be the firstborn in this ancient culture was to be the one who had the authority, to be the one who would inherit everything. Jesus is the firstborn over all creation, for by Him all things were created. Genesis 1, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Fellow exiles, your world is falling apart, there's oppression, there's whatever it is, Jesus is holding all things together. He is the head of the body. It's not Nebuchadnezzar. There's a new body, a new image, the church, people who've put their faith in Christ. He is the beginning. Jesus is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Did Jesus die? Yes, He did. He was crucified on our behalf for us. And then there is this new raising to life. He's the firstborn from among the dead. Will we have this resurrection life one day? You betcha. We will. That in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through Him to reconcile all things to Himself. This twisting, this fragmenting, this breaking that takes place in Genesis. This curse of sin and death. Jesus will reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace. How? By His blood on the cross. This is the way that Jesus brings about resurrection, recreating new life. The curse of sin is taken from us and put on Jesus so that we might have His resurrection life this new life, this new way of being, this new way of stewarding God's creation, this new way of having dominion, the way that it was always supposed to be, being connected to this new human, Jesus Christ. So, I want to come back to those two original points. You guys have been patient and faithful. Well done. We've got this general way of seeing the book of Daniel for all Christians to look at the book of Daniel and take endurance, take encouragement, so that we might have hope, a confident expectation of a future, of God making all things new and right again, but liberty specific. God wants us to go out into this world, in this season, a fresh commissioning, a fresh encouragement to go do we go into this world and isolate ourselves cloister away and say, we're waiting for this God to come back? Sorry, Somerset West, Strand, Gordon's Bay. We'll watch you burn and we'll just hide out. We'll watch things fall apart and we'll just stay together waiting. Or are we to engage in such a way that we just assimilate? We become the same as everyone around us and bow the knee to whatever kings and kingdoms are around out there. Surely Daniel teaches us that we can remain faithful, to not isolate, to not assimilate, but actually to participate in God's renewing work of all things. The way that you use your finances, who's king? 
You can, you can use your finances in a way to show that Babylon is not king. This world around us is not king. Right? Capitalism is not king. Stuff is not king. Use your money in such a way to show that Jesus is king. Engage in your singleness, your marriage, your sexuality in such a way to show that you are not king. The world is not king. Your spouse is not king. Hollywood is not king, whatever it is. Your singleness, your marriage, your sexuality, steward those things in such a way to show that Jesus is king, not Babylon. Parenting your children. We believe in a God who has not abandoned this world, and I want to raise my kids in such a way to show them hope, to steward their... Parenting is probably the hardest thing I've ever had to do. I, I, I go to Daniel for, looking for encouragement and hope. Say, God, help me. Help me to raise my children and to steward in such a way to show that you are king. Not me. Not what I can get. Not what this world says I should be getting. God is king. But then for us as liberty, how do we go out there? It's not so much a question of what are we to do. I think Daniel can show us how we are to go out there. In what way do I, do I get to do a Daniel, have a vision, and stick my finger in the face of this world and say, you are not God. This is not God. Right? He's not militant, but he's also not just saying whatever you want. He's, he's faithful to the work that God is doing. Can we engage in our world in a way that is faithful to God to show that He's King? Can we engage? I don't know. What is God putting on your heart? What is God calling you? That, that, that picture of the, the pomegranate that was given for liberty in this season, that's full of seed, full of reproductive capability and power. Are you reproducing after yourself? Are you reproducing the kingdom? in your world? What's God calling you to? And what can the book of Daniel encourage you, strengthen you, point you towards? And so, I want to close with, with this. We need the power of another to be the real humans that God has called us to be, to be the stewards that God has called us to be of His good creation. We're not just talking about the environment here. It's so much more. The flourishing of fellow human beings. We need the power of another to be able to do this. I mentioned this in the first Sunday, and Daniel, I'm going to say it again. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. There's a new creation moment when you put your faith in Christ. There is, the old is gone, the new has come. We have the ability to live free from the curse of sin and death. We have the ability to bring God's new creation life into our world. And so I would like to invite us to take communion together in a moment. I don't want us to do it alone as individuals. Yes, there is value in that, but there's also value in us doing this together. Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples 
And he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He took the juice, the wine, the cup, and he said, this is the blood of my new covenant given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. But then he said something amazing. Verse 26, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What are we proclaiming when we proclaim his death? That Jesus has won. That Jesus is the king. That Jesus is the rock that will grow and fill this whole earth. And he will bring the kingdoms of this world to nothing. So I want to invite you to get some juice and some bread and come back to your seats to stand with me. And then we will take together. I invite you to stand with me, please. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have not left this world to its own devices, but that you are committed to restoring and renewing all things, reconciling all things to yourself. We believe that we are made in your image to be stewards of this new creation life. And Jesus, we believe that you are the true image of God. And by your death, you took on this corruption of sin. And by your resurrection life, we may have power to live in a new way. And we want to be stewards of this resurrection life to the world around us, God. Please help us not to isolate ourselves from the world. Help us not to assimilate into the world, but help us to remain faithful and to participate with you in the work that you are doing. And so we look to Jesus for this new life. We thank you for your body that was broken for us, and we eat this bread now in remembrance of what you have done.
We thank you for the blood, Jesus, that you shed for us, the blood of the new covenant. You covenanted yourself to us that we might be reconciled to you. And so we drink this juice now, remembering the work that you've done for us. And as we have done this, we proclaim your death until you return. Father, we ask by the power of your Spirit, by the power of this resurrection life, that we would be able to go out into our world and live in such a way that we proclaim your death and resurrection until your return. That when people ask, why are you doing this? That we are able to say, because this is part of God's renewing of all things. And God will finally renew all things fully one day. Please strengthen us, equip us, commission us, lead us, guide us to go into our world to proclaim your death and resurrection life and your return one day. We love you, God. Father, I pray for people here who are struggling with sick bodies. Would you please touch these bodies now with your resurrection recreating life and bring healing. Father, I pray for people who are struggling under the weight of difficulties in their circumstances. God, would you please strengthen them Strengthen knees, broaden shoulders. I pray for people who are facing dark times. In you, light dwells. God, may they find your resurrection light in their life. God, thank you. Thank you for the work that you are doing. Thank you that you've not left us alone. God, give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that believe in you. We love you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.